on my pillow that won't dry on the road beyond my ears. I've no sorrow, but today I don't walk alone. Welcome, everybody, to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. I am a recovered alcoholic, and my name is Chris. Thank you for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Turn off all devices that make noise and that might or will distract others. Take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away and ask God to help you stay focused on the Step Study tonight. Is everybody ready? I will see you in two minutes. Please join me in the fog light prayer. If you don't know it, repeat after me. 
God, let your love shine through me like a fog light, so those who are lost, sick, and dying can find your love through me. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked a friend to come up here and read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have a spiritual experience. So it's kind of important to know what one is. A number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. Though it was not our intention to create such an impression, many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. <clears throat> Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life. Such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could, have, could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource, resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of a spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most emphatically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance and belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer, Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567 and 568. Thank you. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting. So set your phones to airplane or meeting mode, or just turn them off. So now it is my honor and my privilege to introduce our speaker. Um, Doc has done 12 weeks prior to this week um, on the 12 steps, and he's really uh, an amazing teacher, an amazing uh, person in AA, and so I am very uh, excited to hear what he has to share with us tonight. Doc, thank you. Thank you, Mark Chase. Doc, alcoholic. Hey, Doc. You know somebody... These guys that are doing their TV shows online at home now, uh, they already stole my joke that I used a couple weeks ago about, like, I'm fine with this. This is how I started out in comedy, right? Nobody laughed. I feel right. At oh, I think it was Norm MacDonald that said it. I'm fine with this. Nobody laughed, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm at home when I'm bombing and nobody makes a noise in the audience. Yay. Oh, nice pen. I'm going to keep this one. 
Good. All right. So now we are done with all 12 steps. So what do we do now? 13th step. Yes, that's right. Exactly right. There are two different kinds, right? I believe it was Bob that started the term 13th stepping, wasn't it? Or uh, Bill, rather. Wasn't it Bill that had his own little thing about how to continue it on? And then uh, we turned it on to page 69. If you don't know what page 69 says, it's lovely. It says, um, this is everything we need to know. Um, What does it say? Uh, No, 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 that's the real one. Oh, it's 96, the opposite of 69. Which is, do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. (laughs) Search out another alcoholic and try again. (laughs) You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. Yeah, that's how we have relationships in this program. Oh, God, I hope not. I would pray not, but it's, it's true. I would say it's not true, but it is true. It's not, it's not condoned, damn it. It's uh, uncondoned. So um, I wanted to look at a couple things after step 12. And I look over here to these 12 steps that are not here, but they are imaginarily here. And here to my screen, which has other visuals that I used to have when we started this beautiful thing. Um, you'll have to imagine them and my pointer as well. See? So we'll do that. And I'll point over here to step 12 that leads us to the spiritual awakening, right? Um, which is the experience when we uh, express our experience, strength, and hope, right? Experience is the spiritual awakening. It's not your dog ran off again. Someone left the back gate open, and during the virus scare, I can't go after my dog, and I don't know what to do, and so I need to... And Why are you sharing this at a meeting? Because I'm supposed to share my experiences. No, no, not your experiences. Your experience, the, the spiritual awakening you had. Excuse me. Right? Because, you know, I always like to imagine... Man, I sprayed the whole place, but we're going to... That's all right. I'm, in, I'm, I'm not only not infected, I was infected early, so I have all the antibodies. So I'm just putting it out there. Anybody single who would like to get to some antibodies, come over and let me <laughs> sneeze on you. <laughs> um, boy, weird, weird mood today. That's because I'm so grateful. I really am grateful. Um, I forgot what I was going to say. Doesn't matter. There were oh yeah, there were. Um, when you get to step twelve and you have this spiritual awakening, um, I had mentioned before there are kind of some categories, right? Those who who want to be sober, that's it. I need to get sober. I need to quit drinking. Oh, I know what I was going to say. I need to quit drinking. And uh, then there are those that, and I need that spiritual experience. And then a lot of those go, God, this is so much work. I'm just going to be satisfied with not drinking. And then there are those that actually do attain that spiritual uh, experience, that, that, that awakening, and they want to go to the next level, which is, which is a spiritual life, is to living a spiritual life. And, and hopefully that's where we're at. What I was going to say is, is, you know, people that are sharing their experiences instead of their, their spiritual awakenings, I, I like to imagine the guy sitting, you know, next to me in the meeting that this is his first, second, third, fourth meeting, and he's just, you know, he's sweating. 
man. He's, he's knuckling, you know, we call it white knuckles because you're just like grinding your teeth and wondering what the fudge, man, how am I going to, none of this makes any sense. I don't know what these steps are. I can't do any of those. And I'm just going to listen to people and maybe I can hear someone who tells the story of like where I'm at because I'm this far from being kicked out of my apartment and there are, you know, that means I don't even know if I can keep my empty beer can collection, which I have stacked so meticulously against the wall, you know, and my girlfriend's gone. And, and, and then the, the, the mic goes to someone to share, and they talk about their dog running off. You know, and, and, and then, you know, what really <laughs> makes me just so sad is at the end, often they'll say, but it's in God's hands. Yeah, yeah, sure, your dog running off is in God's hand. And yes, he's, he's concerned with that because you are, yes. Um, but your job is to be concerned with this guy, not with your freaking dog. I love your dog. We all love your dog. Y'all love your dogs. I wish I had a dog. I don't even have, you know, I'm, I'm talking to cockroaches now. There's nobody in my apartment. I'm going, hey, buddy. Don't run off. Don't run off, right? I just need somebody to talk to. Something alive in my freaking apartment. God dang, you know. Tanisha gave me a hug last week. And it, it was then at that moment, I re- we were both masked. And I realized I had not had human contact in a month. Even a handshake, you know. It's just so weird. We're going to die. But I'm thinking of this guy who is going to die. And what do I say at a meeting or before the meeting or after the meeting? that helps separate him from pain or, or, or even death, from misery. You know? And that's my job now that I've done all 12 steps. If I've had that spiritual awakening, it's time for me to go to back to step one because it's an oroboso. It's a snake biting its own tail. It's the, if we put it up on the screen, it's the Penrose uh, staircase that keeps going up and up and up. It was published in 1949. Uh, by a guy in, in, in a psychology paper, and then uh, M.C. Etcher saw it and built a bunch of, uh, of etchings around it, uh, steel etchings around the uh, continuous loop. And it actually, the Penrose uh, triangle is the one that has the sides rotate all the way around as you do it, right? Another optical illusion. But that's the 12 steps. When you get to the 12th step, you see there's one more step to take up, and that next step that you, will bring you to a higher level is realizing that you're powerless and your life is unmanageable. And if you have a spiritual awakening and you suddenly understand God of your conception, you go, holy cow, uh, uh, I am powerless. And now I know what that means. I didn't know what it meant when I started at step one, but I didn't have to. Right? That's what the book says. My, uh, a pal of mine... Uh, a famous pal of mine died today, John Prine, and I was talking about it. Um, and, and having, because I was, uh, I was a sound engineer and a stage manager for major bands in the 80s, and uh, John Prine was a, was a pretty big sort of pseudo-country name. It's not really country, it's more like just, you know, pot and a big shag rug, you know, that kind of, that kind of music. And uh, it was a really super kind man. And, uh, you know, my buddy and I, we used, to, we used to get stoned and sit in his truck and, and sing along with the songs, right? And they were great, and get about most of the words right. Uh, and I started thinking about that guy, and I 
thought about my pal that I had known all through high school, and he had actually pulled me out of that life of people not really liking me much. I watched the movie Barfly again last night about Charles Bukowski. It's a great movie, right? And when every time he walks in the bar, they all go, hey, right? And then he goes, I'm so popular. And he sits down, and then there's two or three drunks that live on those stools that go, you're a rat. You're a toothless, wet rat. You're a piece of garbage. And I thought, you know, I, I had forgotten that's how my life was, right? As a whole, I'd walk into the bar, and everybody would go, hey, Doc's here. Great. And I'd sit down, and there'd be some old woman go, don't listen to him. He's a con man. And I was offended <laughs> as I was trying to con somebody to do something, you know. You don't even know me. I may be a con man, but you don't even know me. I may be a liar, but you don't even know me, you know. And uh, my buddies, God, he, he, he said, you know, why don't you come with me, unload a truck. I'll give you a joint. And so I came and unloaded a truck, came to a concert and unloaded a truck. And before I knew it, I was working there. And before I knew it, I was a sound engineer. And before I knew it, I was a stage manager. You know? And I don't tell a lot of those stories because the drugs weren't really, the alcohol wasn't really used to it. I would not mix, and I did monitors on stage, so I would not mix unless there was a garbage can full of Heineken. Ice and Heineken. I'm not, that's part of my requirement, right? And, uh, all that stuff seemed normal. I don't tell those stories because they're not about defeat and they're not about recovery, right? And I thought I was, I thought I had God in my life and I thought I had been a searcher and, uh, you know, I had looked for God in so many different ways and, and uh, you know, I, I was thinking about my buddy. His, his daughter committed suicide last year, you know. My daughter, on the other hand, is thriving and it's, it's, it's a blessing. Um, but I looked, and, and, and you know, none of the guys I got high with or drank with back then are alcoholics or drug addicts. And I always thought they did a lot more than me. But when I got sober, they all went, whoo, we're grateful you got sober, man. They go, well, really? I don't understand why. You guys are worse than me. But see, there's a difference between a heavy drinker slash user and an alcoholic. Right? A big difference. And I think that once we have step 12, we should know that difference. And that should be clear in our mind. It's not the amount you drink. It's not why you drink. It's not when you drink. It's not how often you drink. It's not what you drink. Right? And, and it doesn't matter if your alcohol comes in the form of, you know, pills or powders or whatever. None of that matters. What matters is that I cannot decide I'm not going to drink and then not drink. If I decide I'm not going to drink and then I drink, I might be an alcoholic. Well, that was me. I'll give you an example. There are a lot of people that just want to be drunk, you know? My buddies, when we sat around and got high, they were not alcoholics. They just wanted to get drunk, to get high. And then they went about and did their life, you know? Not me. I went from there to another place to go get high again because I couldn't just go do my thing. Once it, once it went down, I, there was a long time that I quit getting high before I got sober. I quit getting high because I kept staying high. I just stayed high till we make jokes. I passed out and I came to. I didn't go to bed and wake up. Passed out and came to. That was it. Right? I had an, an aunt, uh, Aunt Rose. And she, 
She's on my dad's side. My mom's side are all hillbilly, corn, Midwestern, cornbillies. And they're really funny. And then my dad's side are all eccentrics that did weird stuff all over the world. Weird skip all over the world. And uh, Aunt Rose, uh, she was weird because she's lovely. She's lovely. But her mom, my dad's mom, and I know you could care less about my family history, but if you wanted to imagine this story clearly, Google uh, Ruth Gordon, the actress. And uh, she was in uh, uh, Rosemary's Baby and Harold and Maude, one of the greatest movies ever made. Harold and Maude, look that up. But anyway, and so Mother Rose was named Rose. And she loved her name so much that she named her first baby Rose, which was Aunt Rose. And then my dad was born. And then she got divorced, and then she married another guy and started her life over. So she had another baby girl and thought, well, what the hell, I'll name her Rose. So we had, I had two Aunt Roses, Big Rose and Little Rose, and Mother Rose. <laughs> I said they were eccentric. And I visited Aunt Rose once while I was still getting loaded. It was back in 1989, and I told the story of a while ago. I did a, a show up in uh, uh, Salt Lake, and a guy came in and goes, actually, I, I said, have we met? And he goes, actually, I do know you. We met back in 1989 at uh, Magic Island in Houston, and I immediately went, I'm so sorry. Whatever I did, I know I was drunk. I, the only time in 1989 I wasn't drunk was 1990. You know, so, like, I am so sorry. And he goes, no, you didn't do anything bad. I go, to you, to you, but I am so sorry. So anyway, uh, but I was in Houston uh, about that time, and I came back into the house and I had left her, and she had been sitting by the table starting to pour a drink. I went out for the night. I came back, and she was still there. And I said, Aunt Rose, have you been sitting there all evening drinking? And she said, well, and she had a southern drawl. Everybody, they all used to call me John Michael. For Like I say, it was weird because my name's neither John nor Michael. And uh, she goes, well, John Michael, she says, I have you know I've only had four drinks. No, no, I'm sorry. I have only had one drink. He says, I've only had one drink. Uh, however, uh, I, I have filled it four times. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so, but she wasn't an alcoholic either. She just felt like being drunk. That's not an alcoholic. So we go here to, to we agnostics, right? We agnostics. Because I'm at 12. I've had a spiritual experience. I look in William James. I figure out what a spiritual experience is that applies to me. Then I go back to 43, right? 44, page 44 in the big book. And I'm going to change the first sentence a little bit because it says in the preceding chapters, let's just say uh, in the preceding months or years of your life, in the steps before that led you to step 12 and you actually did have that spiritual experience which enabled you to, to believe what you couldn't believe on your own power along, to feel what you couldn't feel by your own power, and to do things corporally with your body that you couldn't do on your own power alone. You've had that. So you go back to page 44, and it says, in, in, in the preceding months leading up to this awakening, you've learned something about alcoholism, right? This now doubly applies because this is not before I do the steps. This is now after I've done the steps. And now suddenly I do know a lot more about alcoholism, right? Because like a doctor who finally did 
surgery, he understands a lot more than what he did, what he studied, right? He studied it. Now he has experiential, right? Is that empirical experience? So we, the book, (laughs) A's, we hope we have made clear. We hope you understand now clearly the distinction between the alcoholic and the non-alcoholic. Wait a minute. Where did it say? Why did... It's not supposed to say that. Where did it say that? Nobody says that at a meeting, that I'm supposed to be able to know the difference. We say, I just don't look at people and, and, and gamble. No, 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 no. But, but dig this. It goes so much deeper, right? It goes so much deeper than looking at others. Let's look at ourselves. It says, if when you honestly want to, you find you cannot quit entirely. Okay. Or, when, or if, when drinking, you have little control over the amount you take, you're probably an alcoholic. All right, that's clear. When I can't stop, when I can't control how much I want, I'm just going to, had, had a friend, his girlfriend used to say, uh, I'm going to stop at eight beers, which is actually a lot of beers for a young woman in her 20s to say she's going to stop at at a bar. And she says, I never went past eight beers. She said, because I quit counting at eight. I stopped counting at eight. I go, that's awesome. My first sponsor, they were all chopping lines on a a table in Phoenix, and they had a little clock, and it was New Year's Eve, and they go, you know what? When it hits midnight, we're stopping coke. We're done. We're going to get sober. That's it. And then it was like quarter to midnight, and they still had a couple grams left. I go, we got a lot to do. We got a lot to do before (laughs) in 15 minutes, and they get up to 10 minutes, and they're chopping and trying to get rid of it all so they can stop at midnight, and at five minutes till midnight, they go, we don't know what we're going to do, and now it's four minutes, and and my sponsor goes, I got to figure out something. Now it's three minutes till midnight. They still have a lot left. He goes, I know what we'll do, and he unplugged the clock, right? Yay! (laughs) And that's what this says. So imagine not only your, your alcoholism, but all your character defects that are in that big silver ball called alcoholism, and inside is all that weird, disturbing, you know, there's, there's a tempest in there. Look that word up. There's a tempest inside this, this, this ball called alcoholism, and we, we can apply everything in it, but in there might be anger, you know, there might be a lot of self-pity, there might be all sorts of weird stuff in there, right? And I have no control over that stuff, still. Right? It's six and seven problems. It's six and seven problems, and God may be uh, uh, changing them, and, but I'm not able to see it, right? Because it's like this shiny chrome ball. You may be able to see it. It may look clear to you, but to me, I can't see the changes in myself because only an objective view will allow you to see into it. A subjective view, I'm, I'm, I'm lost. It says, if that be the case, if you have little control or you cannot quit, which is zero control, zero to little control, if that be the case, you may be suffering from what? An illness. Okay, perfect. Which only a spiritual experience will conquer. Not control, not treat. Conquer. Doesn't say cure either. Conquer. Right? That's perfect. Conquer. I want to enslave my disease rather than have my disease enslave me. I want it to be chained up. It doesn't die. (laughs) Ask anybody who relapsed, especially after 10, 20 years. It's stronger. It's growing over there, but it's chained up. So what do we have to offer? Nothing psychological. 
nothing physical, corporal, nothing mental, nothing rational, nothing intellectual, and nothing of the God of reason. Where all those things are important things in, in human existence. Excuse me. Here's a little bit that we take out into the world. To our friends, to one who feels he is an atheist or an agnostic, to our friends, even in the program, it always rips me apart to have someone I think that's really involved, and then they go, you know, I'm really an atheist. Really? How long have you been sober, right? Because it says here, only, only that spiritual experience. Okay, so how can I help that guy? Not brand new, which, which this applies to, but how can I help the guy who's still kind of flamingo recovery, right? Standing on one leg. We in Miami like to use metaphors that are before us. Fly, little pelicans, fly. To one, that was a Scarface reference, if you didn't get that. Fly, little pelicans, fly. <laughs> they were all flamingos. To one who feels he is an atheist, watch Scarface again. Uh, or agnostic, such an, such an experience seems impossible, right? Not belief. The atheist doesn't have to believe. The, the agnostic doesn't have to believe anything. I have atheist friends who absolutely, it goes through after this on the next, uh, by page 46 and 47, it talks about how, you know, a lot of atheists, or certainly agnostics are going, well, none of this makes sense under reason, but I feel stupid doing it, or I feel, you know, uh, there's not enough uh, uh, examples. And then I look at the stars, and I think, who made this? And then I go, ah, that doesn't make sense. And then, right? But I have friends that go, no, I'm not even going to go that deep. I just go, if you think you believe in God, you must be, you know, stupid. And it's like, okay, well, let me look at the book. Because so, I don't care about those friends. They're not, I mean, I care about them. I love them. But I don't care about them in, in regards to alcoholism. I don't care about what they believe or what, it, it's, it's their own life. They're full-grown adults. They can believe whatever they want or nothing if they want. That's their thing. But if they're an alcoholic, my job is to separate them from misery and sometimes death. If, only if they want it. I present it. I can't make them take it, Right? But what I do know is that I'm not selling God. I'm selling the possibility of a spiritual experience no matter what you believe or don't believe. Right? So such an experience seems impossible because he has no way to get from the bridge of reason to the shore of, of, of spirituality. No way. Unless I can show him a way that reason can be left behind and he can be taken somewhere. Now, most atheists are super intellectuals, right? Or they're just, there are a, a certain number like there are in anything that are blind followers of, you know, like, like, like Samuel Jackson said about, uh, about vegetarianism, you know? My girlfriend's a vegetarian, that means pretty much I'm a vegetarian, right? My girlfriend's an atheist, that means I'm pretty much an atheist. The experience seems impossible. Even though if he's an alcoholic... To continue the way he is, it's going to be disaster, especially if he's of the hopeless variety. But here's something interesting. The more hopeless the alcoholic is, the stronger, it's been my experience in 30 years, the more hopeless the alcoholic is, alcoholic, atheist, agnostic, the stronger his non-belief is. The stronger his resistance is to be willing to even look at another position. And it says why here, right? 
it says, uh, because some of us tried to avoid the issue. Not just the issue of alcoholism, but the issue of a power greater than ourselves, of a creator of the universe. Hoping against hope, <laughs> great saying that we were not true alcoholics. Because if I was true alcoholic, the only known way to conquer it is a spiritual experience. And that means I'm going to have to face the issue of God. Right? If I'm not an alcoholic, I can go about my life. That's true, too. Right? Now, there may be others. It is not my position. There may be others that say, look, you know, whatever, whatever belief system I'm involved in, I am called by God to either uh, apostolize you or, or destroy you, right? There's a lot of religions throughout history, and, and Mike Chase and I were talking about that, right? And, and, but that's not my job. My true purpose is on page 77. It says, uh, after a while, we had to face the fact that we must find a spiritual basis of life or else, or else what? Or else we'll die. Right? What's the simplest way to look at this program? I have to find a power greater than me. I, am, I have no power. Step one, it says, is the one we have to do perfectly. Right? We have to 100% take that into who and what I am forever. I'm an alcoholic into my DNA. Deeper than that, I am still powerless in this form of existence, in this reality, in, in this dimension, whatever you want to say, in this life, I am completely powerless. And I will be powerless until I believe, and then this is where my belief comes in, I believe that I die, and at that point, nobody knows for sure, right? Nobody knows for sure, but at that point, I go into my belief that then I'll be empowered a different way. But I don't know, I don't know has nothing to do with me saving alcoholics, so I don't discuss that at meetings, what the afterlife is about. I discuss about what this life is about. And what this life is, is that if I have a disease called alcoholism, the only thing known to conquer it, and better minds than my atheist buddies, like Carl Jung, <laughs> bigger, better minds have said, the only way to conquer it is a spiritual experience. If I'm an alcoholic, or my friend's an alcoholic, if he admits that, he then has to admit he's powerless. So he admits, my life is unmanageable. Maybe I'm an alcoholic. I'm powerless. It could be, I'm powerless. I'm an alcoholic. My life is unmanageable. My life is unmanageable and I'm powerless are the same thing. Right? And we talked about that with step one. That is the word that connects them. Id est. That is, in Latin, id est in literature, I period, E period. That is to say, in other words, this and that are the same. So eventually I get to the point where I go, okay, look, I'm throwing up blood. I'm fighting with the bartender every night. I'm left in the alley. Nobody really likes me. I'm tired of this life. What do I do? And he says twice in the same paragraph, Twice in the same paragraph, they say, you know, half our original fellowship was just like that. About half thought they were atheists or agnostics. They thought that. They find out they weren't. But our experience shows you need not be 
disconcerted. Concert means to bring together. Disconcerted means to break apart. Don't fall apart over this. That's a great word. Don't fall apart over this. Don't lose your skip, (laughs) right? Don't lose everything over this idea because half the people that this book is about have already gone through it. You're you're, you're in a well-trodden path. Met with the gentleman before we started this and uh, they were out on the lawn and said, come over and join us six to eight feet apart. And uh, I saw there was a trail through the front lawn. And it's a cat run, right? Where cats like to run along the front of buildings all the way down the block, right? Feral cats or even when you let your cat out at night, they have their own thing. And so I followed the path over to him. I didn't walk through the fresh grass. I followed the little path. That path has already been worn through, that you're an agnostic. You're not different. Every newcomer I ever meet tells me, yeah, but I'm different. Yeah, but I don't believe in God. Yeah, but I can't be helped because I don't. And it says here, that's, that's not it at all. Now, it goes in to say, and I'm going to wrap this side up pretty quickly. If a, This is how most normies feel about God. This is so well put here on page 44 and 45. You stop a normie who's not... They're on the fence, right, about the whole spiritual thing. I believe in God. They're, they're, they're first again, but I'm first, my family's second, my friends and family, people are second, me, others, God, where in this group, it's God, others, and me, right? And so we stop and say, well, do you believe in God? Are you doing this stuff? Are you living a spiritual life? If, now, I don't stop them and say that, but, I, but, but if one were stopped <laughs> and asked that, or if I was sitting in a bar drinking, I could ask a normie about that. And it says, and they go, yeah, I live a good life. I think that's all that's required. Right? That's all I need is a code of morals. I need to be ethical. And from there on, I don't need any spirituality in my life. It's all reason. It's all the God of reason. It says, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy of life were sufficient to overcome this illness of alcoholism, many of us would have recovered long ago. We've already explored those things. We're pretty moral people, even though the world thinks we're immoral. But we found that such codes, I'm going to be a really good person, I'm going to pray every day, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to go to church, still can't quit. My lovely friend, I'm not going to say her name because I don't want to out anybody, but she's, uh, she's got, I believe, more time than me, if not real close to the time with me, more close, and and. She's a, uh, not only a recovering alcoholic, but a recovering nun, which I absolutely love. And, and she told me, you know, we'd talk about the Bible, and she'd go, I don't know what that scripture is. And I'd go, what? How can you say that? You're a nun. She goes, yeah, doc, but I didn't join to study the Bible. I joined so people would leave me alone so I could drink. God, I love you. <laughs> she, had, she had moral cord, codes galore. She had philosophies galore. She's in a convent for, oh, this is perfect, for Christ's sake. (laughs) See how that, boom, see what I did there? (laughs) (laughs) And it did not save us no matter how much we tried. We could wish to be moral. We could wish to be philosophically comforted. Oh, yeah, I'm doing right because this guy wrote in. In fact, we could will these things with all our might but the needed power wasn't there. 
our human resources, everything I can pull out of my heart, my soul, my gut, my arms, my legs, my bumps, my, and marshaled by the will, we're not sufficient. And if you remember that first thing we looked at, where the will is what separates the, the spirit from the psyche, spirit, the pneuma from the psyche, the, the spirit from the soul. There's only one opening, and it's, it's marshaled by the will. And we're trying to open it up, going, let's go, let's go. And it won't. It was not sufficient. All of that, all of those human resources failed us. And that's utterly, it says, and that's where it comes to the first real dilemma, lack of power. See, I don't have any power. I, I use morals. My, you know, it, it's, it, 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 it's a Dungeons and Dragons, which became Magic the, the Gathering card game, right? And then there are others, right? Where you go like, or Pokemon, boom, I use this power. I use my, my, my philosophical comfort power, ping, and it doesn't work, right? And I use my, my coat of morals on you, boom, and it doesn't work, right? And none of these, I'm throwing cards in there, and they go, you still lose. You still, you fail utterly. So I have no power. I have nothing. What do I use to attack this illness? Lack of power. That was our dilemma, and we've already said dilemma is not a problem. It, it, it's Latin for die, too, and lemma meaning to take or to choose. So it's a choice between two things, good or bad. It's very Platonic, as in Plato, as in the cave allegory, as there's nothing real and yet I'm trying to choose between two unreal things, that's not a real dilemma. That's, that's psychosis, right? We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves, obviously. And, or, or, or I'm going to die a, 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 an alcoholic death. So it says we had to find this power. Where is this power? Had to be greater than me, even if I'm a, an atheist and an intellectual. But where and how were we to find this power? Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Pow! Bingo! That's what this, the whole book is about. What? Finding a power. Why? Because I've tried everything I've got. Not just I'm going to quit drinking, but moral codes. I've tried to pray it away. You know, I, 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 I thought... Not keeping the Sabbath sacred was what was keeping me drunk. I thought that working on Sunday was what I was violating Mosaic law, and somehow that was putting a ripple into the universe that kept me drunk. I thought that it was a moral code that would save me. No, you have to find this. But I know God. No, you don't. You have to have the experience, you have to have this awakening. This book's main object, you have a sole purpose we're going to hit on, but this book's sole purpose is to enable you, empower you, make you able to find a power greater than yourself, which will solve your problem. That's it. It goes into... To all sorts of thinking that we have had. Re rejection of this theory, so we think we've gotten away from God, a, a, a number of things, and it says, but, but you don't need to, this is not a belief. You don't need to have a belief for this to work. It's a spiritual experience that you have to have for this to work. You could believe the craziest crap, but if you're willing, which comes from open-mindedness, 
Right? You open your mind, willingness comes out. I go, hey, listen to this. Okay, boom, you're willing. <laughs> if you have a closed mind, you go, no, I got enough of that. Hey, listen to this. Okay, I'm willing. Try this for 30 days. Mm, okay, right? From open-mindedness comes the willingness. Now, my friend says it's the other way around. doesn't matter. They're, they're certainly grouped together. We found that as soon as we were able to lay aside prejudice, and it mentions prejudice several times here. As soon as we laid aside prejudice, right, which is closed-mindedness. Simple as that. Prejudice is closed-mindedness. As soon as we opened our minds and expressed even a willingness to believe in a power greater than ourselves, just a willingness to believe. I go, you know what? I'm just going to say, that yeah, I'm, a, I'm an atheist, I don't believe there's anything here, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do an experiment. That's kind of how I got here. Before I even got sober, I did that with God's study. I went, I don't really believe in this, certainly don't believe in the Bible, but what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm, I'm in this institution where I have a bunch of crazy uh, uh, Jesuits trying to teach me stuff, and I, what I'm going to do is put a baseline. I'm going to say, I'm just going to accept one fact, and if I find that it doesn't meet my baseline, I'll lower my baseline. But my baseline will be that the Bible was divinely inspired. That's simple. And then I won't argue anything below that. I'll say that's, that's where my scientific baseline will be. And if I find everything stays above that baseline, well, then that baseline's probably right. And I can keep moving my studies up. But if I find that it just doesn't know, this proves that it wasn't divinely written, i got to lower it and lower it and lower it, right? I never had to lower it for me personally after that. So I'm laying a baseline here that say, okay, I believe that there is a power greater than myself. Or there, I believe there's a possibility of it. That alone, is, it says, even though it was impossible for us to fully divine, for us, any of us, it says any of us, to fully define or comprehend that power, which is God. So whatever you think you know about God, you do not fully comprehend. <laughs> it's impossible. What I think I know about God, I cannot fully define. I cannot tell you your God is wrong. You, I can't. I don't. Right? I don't. The book says whenever we talk about God, much to our relief, we discovered, I'm still on page 46, we did not need to consider another's conception of God. Ever. If I talk about uh, things that happen that relate to Jesus, I'm not telling you you need to believe that that was the Messiah, the living Messiah. I'm saying here's a story that illustrates what we're saying in the book. If I say something from Rumi, I don't say you need to be a Muslim to love the, the, the inside of the poetry of Rumi, right? If I talk about Buddhism, I'm not selling you on being a Buddhist. I'm just saying here are certain things, like the book said, there are certain things that we follow that illustrate what we're saying, certain prayers we say or certain stories that illustrate what's in the book. So you don't have to consider anyone else's conception of God. Our own conception, that means yours too. However inadequate. However inadequate. My friend Paulette says it so well. She goes, Doc, your God is so big. You know, I'll share something with her and she goes, that must feel great to have a God so enormous. 
And yet she'll share with others going, sweetie, sweetie, you've made your God so small. Right? That's all she says. Consider allowing your God to be bigger. That's all. She never says you got the wrong God. She's never said that to me or anyone that I know of. I love her for that. Now, when I say never, I mean as far as I know. First year, she could have been telling, in her story, she could have been telling everybody to go up, you know, run it up a flagpole because, you know, she's the only one that understands God. I certainly was the only one that understood AA when I first got here. (laughs) I was brash enough to tell you where you needed to change it. However inadequate our conception of God is, it's still sufficient to make an approach and to effect a contact with him. Here's beautiful. As soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction, provided we took simple steps. Right? We found that God does not make too hard terms with those who seek him. So you can be a total atheist. You can be an agnostic. All you have to do is be smart enough to be able to apply open-mindedness and a willingness to see, is this right? If I tell you that 2 plus 2 equals 5 and you say, hmm, you know, then you've got open-mindedness, right? If you tell me, no, there's no possible way, well... You know, I know enough math tricks to show you that that's true. Mathematicians love those things, right? Where they use math to prove something else totally wrong. And it, and it doesn't make sense. <laughs> but if you're, <clears throat> pardon me, if you're open-minded enough to listen to the story, you're open-minded enough to be cured of alcoholism. So when you talk to someone, or if you're that person, but mostly if you talk to someone who says, I, I want to get sober, but I have a problem with God. Don't worry, don't worry. You don't have to be a church-going believer. All you have to do is be smart enough to not be tricked by your own intelligence and reason. In the, in the old saying, all I had to believe is there, there was a God and I'm not him, I think that's only half true. All you have to believe is you're not God. You don't have to believe there is a God. You just have to believe there's a possibility that there might be. And experiment for it. And a truly intelligent man or woman will do that. So let's do this. Oh, let me finish. God's not make it too hard for those who seek him. To us, the realm of the Spirit is broad. That's the kingdom of God, the realm of the Spirit. It's broad, roomy, all-inclusive. Never exclusive or forbidding to those who earnestly seek. It's open, we believe, to all men and women, just like tradition three. So I'm going to look at this and go, hey, it says as soon as we admitted the possible existence of a creative intelligence or even a spirit of the universe underlying the totality of things, we began to be possessed of a new sense of power and direction. I'm going to turn to page 77. (laughs) (laughs) so we go down here we're in the middle of talking about step eight and step nine and i didn't get to say this when i was on step eight or on step nine but it says the question of how to approach the man we hated will arise 
And it talks about attitude and so forth. And, and, and what I'm going to say is, um, okay, we, we've gone the oroboso, which, by the way, is the circle in the circle and triangle, right? The snake biting its tail. 12, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. I get to a higher level now and go, holy cow, now I understand that being powerless is beautiful. And I go through them again. And then I get back and I go, wow, I've done it again. I don't say work the steps. I say we, we take the knowledge and it becomes understanding. And then the understanding becomes wisdom and we pass that wisdom around, right? That's what's beautiful. So we get here and it's talking about eight on page 77. You thought I was going to go to uh, our real purpose, but I'm not. It says, nevertheless, with a person we dislike, okay, Let's, let's take that out of context or, and just look at it for what it is. Going to do step nine to a person I dislike is like doing anything I don't want to do. Thank you, God. It's like doing anything I don't want to do, right? Going to do an amends to someone I don't like is like doing anything I don't want to do. I don't want to do it. I'm a grown damn man. I ain't doing it. Or a damn grown man. <laughs> I ain't doing it. You can't make me. The more I say I'm a grown man, the more I act like a three-year-old. I am a grown man, German. So doing anything we dislike, we take the bit in our teeth. What is, what is that? Now, I was going to talk, and I don't have time. It's harder to go to an enemy than a friend, but it's, find it much more beneficial to us. And then we go to the 12 and 12 and the 10th step, and it says, you know, most people we, we possessively love. The middle is a bunch of people we don't care about, and the last are those we hate. Or, or, or uh, fear. And it says we can't do that. Just like Buddhism, we need to love everybody. This is, uh, Buddha, Buddha said it 600 years before Jesus, but then Jesus said it, and he goes, yeah, Moses said love your neighbor, but I'm saying you got to love your enemy. I go, holy cow, what's that? Again, ask, ask friends like Paulette about what she's grown through in a few years of having to love her enemies. So take the bit in our teeth. What the hell does that mean? Right, here's a great little story. Um, at one point in my life, uh, I have been many things. I've been a puppet, a poet, <laughs> a pirate, and a king. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, well, but I'm not. Um, at one point, I decided I was going to be a cowboy. And I answered an ad for a sheep herder on the Sierra Nevada range. And uh, I went up there. And uh, it took uh, several hours in this old truck the the sheep her the sheep owner the sheep rancher drove me up the mountains on the border of of the sierra madres or the sierra nevadas are between utah and nevada and drove me way up in the mountains took several hours uh i was in a yellow parka and there were no doors on the truck it was so old right it was one of those and, and all the way up there finally and uh there was a horse up there. We had a horse trailer, so they brought a horse and my tack, which is the stuff for riding horses, the saddle and stuff, and dropped it off, and they go, okay, and they introduced me to the sheep herder, who's this old gypsy guy, and he's in an actual gypsy wagon with a little dog that only, he says, don't talk to my dog, because <laughs> I don't want him to learn English. And I said, okay, but it was a sheep dog. And uh, they leave me. And I've never ridden a horse in my life. 
Maybe once at the fair, right? <laughs> a pony ride as a kid. But I had lied that I had all sorts of experience in, in, in being a sheep herder and a cowboy. So the next morning, you know, I go, where's, where's my bunk? He goes, that's your bunk, right? The spot of ground next to the campfire. <laughs> I go, son of a bitch. So uh, the next morning I got up and uh, I, uh, I sort of faked my way into putting on the tack. Uh, first thing I did was, you know, miss getting the saddle tight enough so it fell off. And then, you know, I didn't know you kind of knee-boned the, the gut of the horse so he went, <coughs> and then you cinch it up at that point. Um, but I learned that. I got the bridle. I figured it out. I got it on. I knew enough about that stuff. And I got it on, and uh, my job was to ride all over the mountains for several weeks and to find the little spots of white that are sheep and to make them come all down because it was the end of summer and before winter started, you had to get them all down, get them down the valley and onto a, a truck. And so that was my job. And so I'm riding around, and this horse automatically knows I don't know how to ride him, and he hates me, Right? He's irritated immediately. So he tries to buck me off, flip me off. He scrapes me off under low branches. He tries to dump me over a cliff like he knows what he's doing. I get so aggravated. At one point, I get off and I, I grab it and I go, listen, buddy, you know, we're, we, you, you do what I say. And then I got back on him and tried to ride and he still tried to hurt me. So I got off and I punched him in the face, which was probably not the good thing to do, but I was aggravated and I didn't know how to talk horse. So I got back on and uh, my problem was this. I thought a horse operated like a motorcycle. I thought that uh, you grab the reins like, here we go, you grab the reins like, like uh, handlebars. And if you want the horse to go this way, you jerk him this way, right? You release this, pull this rein and get him that way. You want him to go that way, you jerk him that way. Uh, the brakes are you pull both back. The accelerator is you kick him with both heels. And that's how it goes. And the horse hated that. And I, I got back in the evening and I was exhausted. And, and the old man, he was all brown and gypsy, and he goes, uh, we sit down to eat, you know, your sheep herder beans around the table. I mean, this was, this was very 19th century living immediately. And I sit there around the table, I mean around the fire. And he says, uh, you don't know how to ride a horse, do you? <laughs> and I go, no, I do not. But you're stuck with me. Because you got no contact with the outside world until the truck comes to pick up the sheep. I said, so what do I do? And he goes, the horse knows what to do. I what? He goes, that's all you have to do is let the horse, that horse is trained to find sheep. That horse has been up here several times. This is your first. That horse has had hundreds of riders. This is your first horse. He goes, let the horse do what it knows to do. Oh, really? He goes, all you have to do is guide the horse. He said, here's how you guide a horse. You don't use the reins. You use your whole body. Right? He says, if you want to run, you lean up in the stirrups like you're going to run. You get your body to run while you're sitting on it. You lean up, and he feels you come up off his back, and he goes, we're going to run, and you both run off. 
And if you run or run over to this side, you kind of like, you go, hey, look what's over there. And you kind of lean into where you want to go. And the same with the other way. And when you want to stop, you kind of sit back in the saddle and go, whoa, and he stops. He goes, the rain's all there for, is he says, the horse is, is, is neck trained. He goes, so when the horse feels the, the rain, he goes the other way. So all you have to do is just lightly hold those two straps of leather and just lightly move them from side to side. Because when he, if you move this way, he feels that rain against his neck and he knows you want to go this way. But your whole body's already going that way. This is just to affirm it, right? To affirm which way to go. He puts it all together. He feels you come up. He feels you go this way, and then he feels that rain. He goes, that's absolutely confirmation. I'm running over there, and it all happens like that. And within a couple days, that horse and I were inseparable, man. Because that horse became me from my waist down, right? That horse was like a buddy right here with his big old head, but we had the same legs. We had the same body. Because we'd go, hey, there's a sheep, let's go. And that horse is like, yeah. And it became fun to him to go get it and come up. He'd look at the rocks and I'd look to see like, because I know I got these big old slick hooves, right? So I got to pick where I can stand. I'm not thinking of the horse. I am the horse. That's the whole point, right? We are the horse. That's God that's riding us. We have to know what we're doing. So we use all that stuff. We use our code of morals. We use our rationale. We use those things, but we put everything in God's hands, right? I don't run wherever I want to go. I run, I live to have God, my rider, guide me. And so I'm constantly looking for all the signs, right? Is God moving me this way or moving me that way? And then I feel a little confirmation. And I know, yeah, he is. I I got it. If I start going this way and he wants me to go that way, I'll feel it if I'm listening, if I'm, if I'm open-minded, if I'm trying to know what God wants me to do. It's so, so beautiful and, and so really easy. Once you give up, right? Once you surrender and let God have it. Um, I told, I've really had a great time here. And I'm here on Monday nights now too, right? Um, to do the big book study. But I want to uh, uh, share real quickly about the traditions that, that, that Mike Chase and I were talking about with the new, the, uh, all this new stuff, right? Where, where are we violating anonymity and where are we not violating it? And, and certainly, you know, there are alcoholics that don't want to be, quote, outed, right? Because the world still thinks of us as, uh, as, as awful, moralist degenerates sometimes. Um, however, things... things things change. And, and I would be reminded of this, that yes, Mike Chase and I talked about it. TV, radio, tele, or television, radio, and the press. I looked to go get a, a Miami Herald. Guess what? The 15th was the last day they published the Herald last month. That was the last actual newspaper. It's all online now. Whoosh, another thing gone in our lives, right? So how do we deal with this? Well, one, <clears throat> excuse me, we have to understand, I believe we have to understand what anonymity is. And, and the 12th tradition says that. It says that anonymity is our spiritual 
foundation, not our corporal foundation, right? That it, it's good to have corporal anonymity, right? To hide my face. I, and, and the reason is because I don't want to reverse it. I don't want to, one, try to make a profit off of being a member of AA. I don't want to uh, also stand up and have normies think that I represent AA in public. Because then when I, God forbid, relapse, or act like a, 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 a jerk, right? <laughs> and when I do that, and they go, yeah, but he represents that Alcoholics Anonymous thing. They must not do. They must not teach you very much there, because he's a D, an armhole, right? Those things are 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 uh, important to to not do to to be uh, an autonomous. But in in tradition twelve, it says the spiritual foundation of all our steps, right? Ever reminding us to do all of our spiritual practices uh, secretly, in private, without others knowing. That's what the anonymity in, in step 12, or tradition 12 is so strong. That's what it's about is that our spiritual foundation to all the steps is that I do prayer and good deeds without being recognized for them. I don't stand up and say, you know, look how many meetings I go to. I don't stand up and say, you know, I, I put in more money in the basket than anybody else. You know, I don't stand up and go, look how many people I am sponsoring, therefore I get extra, you know, I, I, you know, the annual AA Achievement Awards <laughs> are something I'm still waiting on, damn it. <laughs> they just don't exist, right? Where's my AA award, damn it? Yeah, that's, that's the whole spiritual basis, is that I need to be of a level of humility because humility is the healing balm, the medicine to heal all the pain that we, I keep pointing to the book that we experience. Um, I need to be humble enough that I'm just like this guy with two or three days as far as uh, what level of AA are you at? Right? What level are you at? Are you, we, we don't do that in this. There are clubs that I appreciate having a, a, a different level because we're not all peers in some clubs whether it's a sports club or a, or, or a knowledge club or whatever it is, right? I, 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 I don't want to be, we're not all peers. I want to be identified as a beginner so that those with experience can bring me up. But when it comes to, and that's fine too in the meetings, right? This is a newcomer, we raise our hand just so we can go out and help them because we're not identified as different at different meetings. We are all sober today through the grace of God and that's it and, and that's what anonymity really is. So if your face gets on Facebook and someone identifies you somewhere there, I would suggest this. Possibly, it may be, just saying a suggestion, God's way of saying, I need you outed so that you can do page 77 and be best fitted to be of maximum service to God, me, and those about you. And so this may be a time when a lot of our relationships with God as we understand him change. And we have to be willing to let that happen. So we're all doing our best to stay autonomous. But when things slide around, that's in God's hands if we're living right. I really appreciate you all being here. I hope to see you uh, Monday nights or at any other of the meetings I'm doing, Zuma, Zuma, Zoom, Zoom. And I remain your humble and obedient servant, Doc Alcoholic.
Please join me in, in uh, thanking Doc one more time. You can post your comments. Thank you, sir. I would like to now present you with this commemorative oh, yeah. Alcoholics and God mug. This is in no way an endorsement of caffeine or, or anything like that. It's just, a, it's just a mug. It says Alcoholics and God. It says chop wood, carry water. Thank you, sir, for your service and for everything. That Can you I mention caffeine? Do I have two minutes or one minute? Sure. Okay, thank yeah. you. Um, I said I would mention this because my, 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 I asked my daughter permission of this. Um, she, she was in, she's uh, in recovery, deep in recovery, happily and joyfully in recovery. Uh, it's something that we get to share now. I find that re- very beautiful. And um, she left college before she graduated. She's been in her life already at 24. She's, she's shadowed surgeons in, in surgery a few times. Uh, she worked in a, in a law firm and actually moved past the paralegal, and the paralegal went to do something else, and she did all her stuff without being, you know, qualified, but actually... So she knew, like, okay, my, my career is going to be something big, but then she got sober, and she moved out to California, and she just got a, a humble job of working at Starbucks. Now, during all this, she's thinking months and months ago, what is my career going to be? Does God want me to be a Starbucks manager for my whole life? Is it, am I being led there? Now, she got, of course, with the first couple months of sobriety, she got that cart in front of the horse, and then this came along... And now she's, you know, cruising on a year and uh, uh, coming up to it. And uh, she says, you know, look at, look at the gift God gave me of not. Because at one point she goes, Dad, I, I quit thinking about what career I'm going to do and start living just today. And God has me here today doing this. And then this corona thing and the distancing came along. Starbucks is essential. Right? So, so it's open, and she's being shoved. She's working more than she ever has. She's working in three different stores. It's all drive through. But God said, no, 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 just keep this humble job because something's coming where you need to have it so you have not only income, but a greater income, a bigger abundance from something that a lot of us, you know, are not working. And she's just, right now, she's like, God is so awesome. God is so big. Right? So, so yeah, coffee is essential. I love you. Thank you for giving me that. Not the cup, the minute. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite cup. Uh, now, it is my pleasure to introduce our secretary, Mark. Yay, Mark! That's, that's what a hair lip dog says. <laughs> Hello again. My name is Mark. I am your recovered alcoholic secretary. Normally, in keeping with the seventh tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets go around, not tonight. But uh, if you can and will and have some extra coin lying around and are an essential worker, please donate to your local intergroup office. They would really appreciate that. I'm going to read the recovered statement because there's nobody else here to call upon. So, my name's Mark. I'm your recovered alcoholic reader once again. We read this notice to explain why many people in this group identify as recovered rather than recovering and what it exactly means to be a recovered alcoholic. So, here I am again. Recovered. We are not cured of alcoholism. Recovered but not cured. 
That presents a conflict to some alcoholics. If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly. No, we are not cured. The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for a lifetime. But we have been restored to sanity. That was the problem. The main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. We are now sane where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Good job. 1940-style big book sponsorship. From the forward to the second edition of Alcoholics Anonymous. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% of them got sober at once and remained that way. 25% of them sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed on with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Normally, I ask for a show of hands of recovered alcoholics. If you are one, please just do the little wave emoji in our little group chat on Facebook Live. If anyone needs a sponsor, same thing. Show your, put a thumbs up emoji, and we'll get you connected. We'll find somebody for you. We'll get you back to God. Um, again, please join us Monday nights, Big Book Study Meeting, where the Big Book comes alive. Fellowships at 6.30. Big Book Study starts at 7.15. We'll be here on Monday night. We have Doc and Mike Chase gracing us with their presence once again for their second session. We are in more about alcoholism? Yes, so please join us then. Jim Story on Monday night. This group has CDs, mugs, large print big books, little red books, and big book dictionaries for sale. When, yeah, when things go back to normal. Again, we meet here every Thursday starting promptly at 7.15. We ask that you be courteous and ready to begin on Facebook Live at the sound of the bells. I will see you next week. Okay, so we have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. The first 18 months that I was sober, living in halfway, I was on alcoholicsandgod.org nonstop trying to get through everything, and now it's down to maybe you know five or six times a week. But um, I'd like to invite everyone to our Monday night big book study where the big book comes alive. Um, last Monday, we had a special treat. It was Doc and Mike Chase, and I was just geeking out because it was like my Woodstock, uh, and there were only four people here. So uh, we did about, they did about 45 minutes on Jim's story from page 35 and more about alcoholism, and it was fantastic, and, uh, and I can't wait to hear it again and more. Uh, so check that out, alcoholicsandgod.org, alcoholicsandgod.org. To those who wish to thank tonight's speaker, uh, please join our secret Facebook group so you can post something in the chat, and maybe someone will screenshot it and text it. So, or maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> if it's God's will. To those, uh, yeah, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Who will bring us from shame to grace? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. See you Monday night.
shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine This little light of mine I'm gonna let it shine Let it shine, shine, shine Let it shine Everywhere Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. I'm 
leaves are green now, growing vines. They twist and turn each way, flowers blooming all the time right outside my door. Like never before. I had to change everything to realize that today is the best day of my life. song is god bless i love you mike chase bye i think you know this one don't you